Buster's idea. And uh, the myth that I want to consider today as we, uh, as we go into this talk is all roads lead to God. Have you ever heard that one? Or it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you sincerely believe it. I started thinking about that and I thought, you know, that's just not logical, right? Because I started thinking, okay, that makes as much sense as all roads lead to Dallas. Let's just pick a road and if I really want it to go to Dallas, then it will. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean... GPS, you know, have you seen those talking tom-tom things they've got now? That wouldn't be so popular. And, you know, wouldn't need maps. You just, I really, really want this road to take me to Dallas. And some of y'all probably driven like that before. You've been on a road and you're going, I really wish this road would go where I want it to go. But see, here's Palestine, all right? I did a little bit of, of geography this weekend. And so you come out this way and, you know, this is 287 and then 19 comes up here. And then you got 155 over this way. And then you got uh, 79 going this way. And then you got 84 going this way. Then you got 287 and 19 going this way. And then back over here, you got 84 going that way. Now, oh, wait, and then 79 comes off. No, wait, 84 comes off and 79 goes down. There we go. Like that. Kind of looks like a deformed sun or something, you know, like that. Like it's messed up on a couple of wings over here. That's, true to scale, That's pretty true to scale. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I did. This is Luke 256, in case you didn't know that. Now, let's just say I want to go to Dallas. Don't all roads lead to Palestine? Don't all roads lead to Slocum? Right? I mean, if I go... If what? If you turn right, yeah. But that, no, man, I just want any road I'll get on to take me. If I go this way, am I going to get to Dallas? No, 287 South, I'm not going to get to Dallas. If I go 84 East, am I going to get to Dallas? If I go 155, 79 North, am I going to get to Dallas? No. So why do people think that all roads lead to God? Because see, there's a whole bunch of religious stuff out there. There's a whole bunch of junk out there under the under the category of uh, spirituality that just stinking doesn't make sense to me. And people say, oh, if you're just sincere, if you just believe it enough, well, you know, if I give you a glass of arsenic, if you're sincerely believing that's water, you're going to be really dead. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Some of these things that are going on, I think that part of the confusion is that we can't see God. So we really don't know what God looks like. Right. I mean, that's that's part of the thing. And so people start making up all kinds of stuff when you don't know what God looks like. How else can you explain Greek mythology? They didn't know what was going on, so they just made up a story. And they told everybody about it. People believed it until it could be proven false. How else do you explain the New Age movement, which tries to convince people that that we're all gods? Any rational thinking people would look around and say, we are not God. We, we do some really dumb things. And, and so that doesn't make sense to me. You know, if we want a picture of God, we ought to look to God to get that picture. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1, 3, he reflects, talking about Jesus, he reflects the brightness of God's glory and is the exact likeness of God's own being, sustaining the universe with his powerful word. After achieving forgiveness for the sins of all the humans, he sat down in heaven at the right side of God, the supreme power. The Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. You figure out all the characteristics of Jesus, you figure out the characteristics of God. If my son were missing... 
and you don't know what my son looks like, it's going to be kind of frustrating for you to go out and search for him. Because you don't know. Every 10-year-old boy out there could possibly be him. But if I give you a picture of him, if I give you a video of my son doing different things, then you could become very familiar with my son and you could recognize him. Jesus Christ came from God as the exact representation of God to show us a picture of what God looks like. Now, there's a lot of stuff out there, so we're going to try to clear up the confusion just a little bit today. One of the first things we learn about God is that God desires to be worshipped. Now, if you've been around church any time whatsoever, you've heard that word worship used over and over. Let me just give you a couple of quick definitions that we're going to work from today. The first one is worship means to assign worth to something or someone. So it means you fix a rather high amount of worth or value to something or someone. Here's another definition um, is to praise and serve another. Or it could be to have an intense love or admiration for someone or something. Now, I want you to watch this video and I want you to watch for postures of worship and acts of worship.
What did you see? Would you describe what they were doing as worship? Remember the, the definition? To, to ascribe value or worth to something or someone. And I, what I saw in that video is some of the most genuine worship that I've ever seen in my life. Is Michael Jackson a worthy God? No. We've seen his downfall here in the last few years. Seems pretty unbelievable to me the way folks act, but let's just pretend for a minute. Let's, let's say some movie stars were to come to New Life Community Church today. What if uh, Brad Pitt were to show up? And you ladies like Brad Pitt, you don't have to admit that right now, right after that video or anything like that. But um, who, who else? What would be another star that you'd like to see? Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore? Okay. What'd you say? Barry Holy mackerel. <laughs> Barry Manilow. Looks like she made it. Uh, Copacabana. Um, uh, Dude, that's back like junior high days. I remember Barry. That's all right, man. I just now the rest of them wouldn't even know who Barry Manilow was, so that wouldn't cause a stir. <laughs> but what if? Okay, let's say Michael Jordan or Shaquille O'Neal were to come into our church service today. Would that would that be a day that you'd always remember? I was watching. Um, Regis and Kelly the other day, and they were talking about they had Jennifer Aniston coming on. And Kelly said, you wouldn't believe the ladies backstage. She said, you know, we've had all kinds of big time movie star men. And she said, I've never seen the reaction like when Jennifer Aniston was going to come on. She said the ladies were running around like crazy going, oh, we've got to look cute for Jennifer. And I'm going, what? Who cares what Jennifer thinks? But we act a lot, a lot of times with stars like Folks, do you know, we took our kids, our soccer team, our 10 year old soccer team to FC Dallas. They're not even that good. And we stood around for hours waiting for autographs. Oh, man, there's Eddie. Eddie, he's good. You know, what's funny was every black person who came out of the room, they thought was Eddie. And it was it was really embarrassing because they're going, Eddie, Eddie. And the guys are like, no, man, I'm not Eddie. So it was it was kind of funny. Our boys were clueless. Um, I was glad Eddie finally did come out and sign autographs. Several years ago, I took some teenagers to, uh, to Colorado skiing. And uh, we, we were in the middle of several huge, very popular, very well-known ski resorts like Aspen, like Vail, like Snowmass. These are huge, huge places to go. But we were at a place called Buttermilk. Sounds like an imposing mountain, doesn't it? Buttermilk Snow Mountain. And the reason we were there is because I had a lot of teenagers that hadn't skied before. And so we were going to go to this place is very easy. And they liked it because it wasn't very crowded and it was a small mountain and all that stuff. Well, what I, I didn't know was that, you know, there were some big time Hollywood stars that liked it as well. Didn't know that. I know that now. So we're all sitting. Some of us are sitting on this huge deck. The deck's bigger than this whole room. And we're watching the action that's going on up in the mountain. And I'm sitting there next to my wife, you know, and I don't remember. We had 60 or 70 teenagers on this trip. And, uh, and I'm just checking out what's going on. All of a sudden, I hear some commotion behind me. And I turn around and, you know, 20 feet away, there's O.J. and Nicole. Obviously, before all of the other stuff happened. But they're just walking and I'm going, dude, that, that's O.J. And Janie, Janie doesn't know who he is. And uh, she's kind of embarrassed because he comes walking by and I said, what's up, Juice? And she goes, you just called him Juice? And I'm like, 
His nickname is Orange Juice. Uh, he's the juice that made the Buffalo Bills go. And she's going, I can't believe you just called a star juice. I'm like, oh, never mind. Anyway, it was just this big deal. And, and so all of our kids were going over there and, and he was very gracious. He signed autographs. He took pictures with some of them, you know. A little bit later, I hear there's a commotion back in the, in the restaurant, in the cafeteria area. And some of my kids come out and they're ticked, man. And I'm like, what's up? And they're like, Michael Douglas is in there and he's just a jerk. And I'm like, okay. And they said, I said, why? And he said, well, he told us no autographs and don't take any pictures and all that stuff. And we're like, well, okay, well, then don't. I mean, these look like regular people, except that everybody within 500 yards knew their names. And my kids, my teenagers were just acting pretty funky until Michael Douglas made them mad. And then they they boycotted all his movies or whatever. You know, the, the big problem is that when we worship athletes or, or Hollywood stars, if we worship any person, they're human. They make mistakes. You know, I've seen O.J. ski. God would be a better skier. You know, I, I'm convinced of that. Um, Michael Jordan, he was they call him the greatest basketball player to ever live. But was Michael Jordan perfect? Did he ever? No, he sure didn't do it in baseball. No, we found out that he couldn't hit a curveball. God would have been able to hit a curveball. But Michael was the greatest basketball player ever. I just want to consider some of his stats. Michael um, missed in his career 1,224 free throws. He missed 10,724 field goals. Three-pointers missed, 1,115. Grand total of 13,063 misses. Did he ever miss a dunk? Yeah, I've seen him miss a dunk. Did he ever dribble a basketball off of his foot so that his team lost in the playoffs? It only happened once, but yeah, that proves he's not a God. If you are God, you can never miss. Whether it's in baseball, basketball, you can never make a mistake. So I don't understand why people want to worship someone like Michael Jackson. Um, <laughs> other people that, that, that folks worship, would you say that they would be a good God of the universe? Would you want to trust them as God of the universe? If your life is at stake, would you want to trust them to care for you? What if they have to choose between their family and you? Who's going to get jacked? You are. All right. So I'd say they're not going to make a very good candidate for God. Well, I want to look at the real God for just a few minutes and I want to see what he's like. God met with Moses on the top of a mountain to give him um, some commandments, some instructions on humans. And we call them the Ten Commandments. We don't call them the Ten Suggestions. They're Ten Commandments for a reason. They come from God. And the very first command um, shows us this point. Here's the point on your listening guide. There is only one God, and I want to show you where that is in the first of the Ten Commandments. There's only one God. Exodus 23 through 5. Do not worship any God except me. Do not make idols that look like anything in the sky or on the earth or in the ocean under the earth. Um, don't bow down and worship idols. I am the Lord your God, and I demand all your love. Now, I underlined the key words for you. I want you to realize this. We use a capital G whenever we're talking about the one and only God. And I want you to notice in that verse that when God is referring to other gods, it is a lowercase g. You see, what people were doing was they were using their hands to fashion idols, whether it was out of gold or silver or wood or stone, whatever it was. They were fashioning these things and then they were setting them up and they were bowing down to worship things that they had created. And so it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Anything that has been or can be created falls into the category of little g. And since there is no other big G, capital G God, the big God, the one and only God says, don't worship things that are not a God. Well, let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to make a paper airplane here real quickly. 
And this paper airplane, what it's going to do, it's going to represent those big bird-like things that you see up in the sky, you know, not so much here as you see around, you know, Dallas or Houston, one of those big airports. And this thing is going to represent one of those things. Now, I can call this my God and I can put it on my mantle at home. You know, above my fireplace and I can say I can I can write prayers to this thing. I can say chants. I can write worship songs to this. I can praise the almighty bird thing like thing that flies up in the sky. But does that make it a God? That's stupid. Anything that we can create. That flew pretty good. That, I'm, it's better than I thought it was going to do. Anything that we can create with our hands, anything that can be or will be or has been created, it is foolish for us to worship those types of things. And that's what God is telling us. Um, I think it's just as foolish to worship physical things like money, like uh, power, like prestige. Why is this such a big deal? Well, God, the second thing on your listening, listen, God, God knows that everybody eventually surrenders to something or someone. What's so dangerous about people worshiping things that whatever they want to worship? Because God knows that you are going to be a, become a slave to whatever you worship. You're going to become like whatever you worship. If it's not God, you will surrender to, to the opinions or expectations of someone else. You'll surrender to money, to resentment, to bitterness, to fear, to pride, to your lust, to ego. You were designed to worship God. And if you fail to worship God, you will create something. Idols is what God calls them in the Bible. You will create an idol that you will give your life to. Now, you're free to make a choice to surrender to anything you want to surrender to, but you are not free from the consequences of that choice. And God knows you will be destroyed if you serve anything other than God. One man said it this way. If you don't surrender to Christ, you surrender to chaos. Do you know any families? Do you know any individuals that their lives, you would describe them as in chaos? That's because they've surrendered to something that is a little g, a lowercase g, not a big g. Surrendering to God is not... The, only the best way to live. It is the only way to live because everything else leads to frustration, fear, disappointment and, and uh, addiction to destructive habits, self-destructive habits. That's why God put this at the top of the list. If this one commandment is wrong in your life, if this is messed up, everything in your life will be messed up. And so God wants us to turn all of our lives over to him, our past uh, regrets, our present problems, our future dreams, our weaknesses, habits, hurts and hang ups. Why? Here it is, because nothing under his control can be out of control. Nothing under God's control can be out of control. And that's a quick test to, to know whether God is at, uh, in first place in your life. If your life is out of control, the very quick answer is God is not number one. Because nothing under his control will ever be out of control. Now, the third reason that, uh, that God wants us not to worship anything that's not God is real worship costs. Real worship costs. Romans 12, 1 says this, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I want you to circle those words, living sacrifices. This is the whole key to this. We usually associate sacrifice um, with something dead. <laughs> but God says, no, I want you to be a living sacrifice for me. He wants you to live for him. But the problem is a living sacrifice can crawl off the altar. And, and it often does. So we have to do this day after day. Now, in the Old Testament, God set up this whole sacrificial system. And what would happen was when people sinned, they could no longer be in fellowship with God. And so God set up this sacrificial system where an innocent third party 
had to shed its blood so that then that person could be the, the blood, the death of that animal would pay for the sins of the individual. They could come back to God. Whenever someone um, sacrificed an animal before God, it pleased God because it foretold, it was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ dying once and for all on the cross. We don't do animal sacrifices anymore because we live on the other side of Jesus dying. Prior to his death, they had to do animal sacrifices. Praise God, we don't have to do animal sacrifices. I did build an altar. Y'all, some of y'all have seen the altar. Sometime we'll bring it back out. We're not going to do animal sacrifices. We're just going to tell you about animal sacrifices. And, you know, I can just imagine an 11 year old saying to his dad, what did that sheep ever do, dad? Well, the sheep did nothing. The sheep is innocent. Well, then why has he got to die? And if you remember the death angel, when when the children of Israel were about to leave Egypt, the dad looked at his son and he said, well, son, it's either the sheep or you. God requires justice and sin must be paid for. And in this instance, you know, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why they did it in the Old Testament. But today we don't do that. Today we do have sacrifices of worship, though. And I want you to think about what those are. When we sacrifice our time and our effort, when we praise God, when we're singing, that's part of worship. But worship is so much more than music. When you give your offering, we have a basket at the back. Many of you are trained. You just come in and you put your offering in every week. Before you even come in, before you say hi to anyone, that is offering praise and worship to God. That is pleasing to God because it costs you something. And don't think that um, that that worship ever is free because Jesus Christ paid the penalty so that you might have a relationship with him. So when we praise him, when we repent, whenever we confess our sins, whenever we serve others, sharing with those in need, whenever we did the angel tree, we served 75 children um, at uh, Northside Elementary School this last week. And you should have seen him. Oh, my. The parents were blown away. There were some folks there that couldn't speak English. They had no idea why those presents were there. They just knew their child was was beaming from ear to ear. The kids didn't know who we were. They didn't care who we were. They got presents. And that was a sacrifice of praise to God because it cost us time. It cost us effort. It cost us money. And you know what? We don't expect anything in return from that. And God says, that's the type of thing I want. That's worship. Do you know buying a present for someone else and giving it to them could be worship? God considers it that whenever we sacrifice. Real worship costs time, money, effort, selfishness, and energy. And God doesn't want you to waste those things on things that are not God, on the little G's. Since you were made to worship something, God says, why don't you worship the only one who is really worthwhile? And that's his son. Next Sunday, we're celebrating the coming of God's son to earth as a man. Jesus came so that he might take all of mankind's sin upon him. And when he lived those 33 years and when he was upon the cross and all of the grotesque sins that humans would ever do, had ever done, would ever do, were piled upon Jesus. God could not look upon that because he cannot look upon sin. So God turned away and Jesus, in desperation, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus could have saved himself. But if he'd done that, then he couldn't have saved you. Why did he do it? Because he loves you so much, he would rather die for you than live without you. So you could be spared from the horrible pit of hell for eternity. That's why he did it. And you could share in his glory forever. So do not complain to God about how much it costs you to worship. He knows. He watched his son die on a cross so that you and I might be here today and be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. So I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
Christ was without sin, but for our sake, God made him share our sin in order that in union with him, we might share the righteousness of God. There it is. God made Jesus become sin on our behalf. Why? So that you and I might become righteous like God. I can look in the mirror today and I can tell you I am not a righteous dude. There's not a righteous bone in my body. I'm selfish. I get angry much too easily. I hold grudges. I am a sinful person. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. So that God doesn't have to look at me. He looks through what Jesus did on the cross. And He sees me as righteous and blameless. Because His Son was righteous. Not because I am. And the Bible tells us that the more we spend time in God's presence, that He begins to change us to look more like Jesus Christ. We begin to bear the family resemblance. The more you behold Christ, the more you become like Him. The less you behold Christ, the less you become like Him. I mean, it's just a real simple thing. So you just look at how much time do you spend with God, and, that's, and you'll know how much you look like Christ. The whole reason Jesus came was to show us how to get back to God. And so this, this Christmas thing, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. You know, this whole happy holidays and, and the holiday tree and all of that stuff. I'm not really offended by that. Because if somebody doesn't know God, I don't expect them to proclaim Jesus is the son of God. I don't think we need to be picketing and, and yelling things and writing nasty letters to the paper. I think we need to be loving people Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. And then they start to listen to the message that we talk about on Sunday. That's a whole lot more effective than casting stones and calling people horrible things and saying you're going to burn and rot in the pit of hell. That's not gotten anybody that I know of into, into heaven. <laughs> Hadn't gotten anybody into this church either. If you go up and down, hey, come to my church, go to hell. I've not found anybody that comes to our church because of that. The people that come to our church is because somebody here knows them, invited them, and they have a little bit of a relationship with you and they trust you enough to come and try it out. And that's all we ever ask. Come and try it. If you don't like it, that's okay. We're not ever going to condemn you. But just come and give it a try. Well, what makes this baby any different than any other baby? You know, there were probably thousands of babies born on that same night that Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago. Why did we split the calendar into B.C. and A.D. based on this one baby? What's so special about it? Well, the Bible says that that baby was God. When he came as God, put on flesh and bones... It shocked the angels. They couldn't understand what God was going to that, that the God who created the universe would suddenly come into the womb of a human being, would subject himself to, you know, soiled diapers and, and burpings and feedings. And that just blows my mind how God would give that up for us, that he would humble himself like that. And all of God's plan for the world was wrapped up in that fragile little infant. And it's just crazy to me. Why did he do it? Why did he come as a baby? Because he came to save us, not to scare us. And nobody's afraid of a baby. And so God decided that he would come. Jesus came just the way you and I came into the world. Because nobody is afraid of the baby. And everybody can relate to the fact that this baby was born and that he was, um, he was God's son. Now, there's a story of a little boy who, who built a little uh, boat, a little sailboat. He spent hours and hours, every detail, he crafted this boat. He was so proud of it. And when he finally got it done, he goes out to the river and he puts it in. And, and you know, he wasn't thinking about wind. He wasn't thinking about current and all those things. Before he knew it, the, the boat starts going down river and it's getting further and further away from him. He runs as far as he can. The forest gets too thick and he just can't find it. And he's just crushed because he knew how much time he spent. And he thought, it's going to take me forever to build another one of these boats. 
Somewhere down the river, there was a man who found it, thought about the great opportunity he had, takes it in, and he sells it to a little shop owner. Later that afternoon, the little boy comes walking through town, looks in the window and sees his boat right there. Goes inside, tries to explain. He says, Those have, it has my markings on it. It's my boat. But since he couldn't prove to the shop owner that it was his boat, shop owner said, son, if you want that boat back, you've got one thing you've got to do. You've got to buy it. The little boy wanted it really bad, so he did. He scrambles up the money, pays for the boat, and as he takes it from the shop owner's hands, he says, little boat, you're twice mine. I made you and I bought you. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. But you see, we we aren't like the boat that just kind of floats off. We deliberately choose to turn our backs on God and walk away from him. And it kills God that his creations would try to worship something else. That we we get involved on the wrong path, that we take the wrong road, sincerely thinking we're going to get to heaven. And we lead it leads us to destructive life patterns. You know, God says, why? Why would you worship something that can't heal a marriage? Why would you worship something that can't fix relationships, that doesn't tell you how to, ha- how to be married, how to be a good parent, how to have business relationships, how to succeed in life? Why would you want to worship those types of things when I have all of that? I can, I can save you. Did you ever see a, a, a newspaper article or a story on the news that, that talked about Michael Jackson helped save somebody's marriage? No. Um, did you ever see an article that said Porsche 911 mysteriously, miraculously saves its owner from cancer? Stupid, right? So why do we worship the little G's? They've got no power. God says, I have got all power. Now, I want you to think about Jesus' death on the cross. And I want you to think about what it purchased. Because we're twice his. I read about um, a car that was stolen in California way back 20-something years ago. And, you know, thousands of cars are stolen in California, so why did this one make all of the headlines, all the news? It was, there was an APB sent out on this car. The reason was because the owner of the car had put some crackers on the front seat laced with deadly poison. He intended to use the crackers as rat bait. The, the thief didn't know about it. So they went crazy all over California trying to get this guy. The cops were trying to save him. They weren't trying to condemn him. They wanted to rescue him because they were so afraid he was going to take one of those crackers, eat it, and die. That's not what he bargained for. So they were trying to rescue him. Well, God is pursuing you not because He wants to punish you, but because He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you from worshiping what is not God. And so He says, put your faith in Me And 2006 can be a whole different year. When I was praying this week, I was thinking about this service and I was going, God, there may be people here who are far from you. Maybe somebody who does not know you. This one moment can be the moment that they become a child of God and their their whole destiny changes. You see why we think Sundays are such a big deal? Because we're trying to tell people. Last night we were praying and I said, to my kids, I said, because we're, we're doing this little different thing about how we're praying. We're, we're going around the circle and we're telling God how much he means to us, you know, what we like about him. So everybody goes around and tells God one thing, because that's praise. And uh, then I said, what do we need tomorrow? And Caleb says, I know, I know what we need. I said, I said, what do we need? He said, we need more people at church. And I said, why do we need more people? And out of the mouth of a 10 year old, he says, so they can learn about God and they can come into his family. I said, that's exactly what we built the church for. To reach as many people as possible who are far from God. Help them connect with God and with other people. 
Would you bow your heads for just a moment?